0: Hello everybody, Josh Neighbors here for the Locked On Nationals podcast here on this Monday, November 9th, 2020. Uh, before we get to the show today, which features Ryan Finkelstein of the Locked On Mets podcast, we want to let you guys know we have some things scheduled, already recorded for this week. So I recorded free agency buy or sell. That is coming on Tuesday. Part one of that on Wednesday, we'll have part two of free agency buy or sell. Both of those have been recorded with Max Raymond of District on Deck. So, I'm telling you guys this to let you guys know that if there's anybody who's been off the market or signed, that is why, uh, you know, it is not updated in the episode. I got these in the can on Saturday. In today's conversation with uh, Ryan Finkelstein of the Locked On Mets podcast, we are going to talk about the busy weekend, or I guess busy end of the week, that the Mets had and what that means for their long-term prospects, what their plans are, because obviously they are one of the Nats' closest rivals. So a very fun, interesting conversation with Ryan about a whole host of things, different directions the Mets could go, and a good window inside one of of the Nets' rival organizations. So I hope you guys enjoy our conversation. It was a fun one. You are
1: locked on Nationals. Your daily Washington Nationals podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.
2: Hello, everybody. Locked On Nationals podcast. We've got uh, a lot to talk about here. It's not about the Nats today. We're going to talk some Mets baseball with Locked On Mets host Ryan Finkelstein. Ryan, how are you doing? I
1: am fantastic. You can't be any better right now, can you?
2: No, I mean we'll, we'll, you know, we're recording this on Saturday, um, and you think about what's happened, right? The team gets sold to Steve Cohen officially, and I, I swear to God, I, it got officially approved like nine different times. Yeah. I thought yeah. I saw it was like officially approved, officially approved, and I'm like, it, it had to pass like four different, you know, four different things to, to be approved, didn't it?
1: Yeah, it was the ownership committee. Well, first you had. He had to beat out A Rod and everyone else. That was the first. Okay. Oh, it's going to yeah, be coming. I talked
2: about that. Yeah.
1: It, then, it's, then it was the ownership committee. There was a veterans committee. Uh, the owner's vote was the big one. And then this was just like, okay, the money's been wired to the Will Ponds. They're out. It's official.
2: They Venmoed them. Yeah they, they, yeah. they hit him with the Venmo. Yep. Yep. And then so yesterday, he then, I mean, I guess, it was this hours after taking control of the team? Like an hour after taking control of the team? He cleans house. It was uh, Brody Van Wagenen, who was the, was the GM. Um, let's see. They also got rid of uh, Omar Minaya, who is the uh, special assistant general manager, assistant general manager. Uh, let's see. Alan, uh, Allard Baird. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, they, they basically just cleaned, cleaned house completely.
1: Yeah, they cleared out. Uh, basically, that was Brody's inner circle that all got let right. go for the most part. Omar Minaya was the one that I think people were surprised about because he's been at the Mets forever. But as a Mets fan, has been following this. I mean, Brody's been terrible for two years, so I was more excited to hear that Brody was fired than that the sale was finalized because we knew that was going to happen. So yeah, it happened really quick, and uh, they're making moves.
2: Bizarre circumstances too, because Sandy Alderson is is back. Yeah. He's so he's a team president, right? Did I have this correct. Yes, yes. Are there any other pieces that people should know about that have that have officially joined that are on on board in the front office? I think
1: that's gonna happen over the weekend. I think okay. you're kind of naive to think that there hasn't been conversations being had over these last couple of months, especially since the season ended. So I wouldn't be surprised if they already have a short list. Basically, I look at Sandy kind of like a Jerry West in the NBA mm. or even to some extent like a Pat Riley, like He's got the president role. He's the overseer, but I don't think he's grinding nine to five every day. So they're going to bring in apparently a new president as well, a president of baseball operations, and then Sandy's just the president. And then they're going to bring in GM. So they got a couple of big hires to make. They want to add to their analytics department.
2: They got to do a lot. I poor well, it's, it's poor Sandy because I mean Sandy, you know, I think he still has PTSD from the last time he was in the front office when they were basically like, we're going to give you $10 and you're going to go sign, you know, we want you to go sign people. I mean, cause I, that was, that was always the, the case was Sandy Alderson's got a basically impossible job, right? Yeah. He's asking to be, you know, he's, he's in a market like New York and he looks like an asshole because he's not signing good players. And basically he gets hung out the dry and you know, the, the people in the know, know that it's the ownership, but he's kind of the public face of it. And, you know, a lot of the, the heat fell on him. And people in the know kind of felt like it was undeserved. Were you kind of in that camp? Yeah, it was. Basically, when Jeff Wilpon was the president, it's essentially my
1: GM is going to be my meat shield. So he's going to have to face the media. I want to make some decisions. You're going to follow through with what I tell you to do. And I think Mets fans have grown to appreciate Sandy because they watch what happened with Brody. So with Sandy, you had you know, about a decade of relative stability where you at least weren't a laughing stock. They weren't able to make a ton of moves, but at least they weren't getting fleeced in trades. Then we saw Brody and everything kind of change. He was a lot more aggressive, but that also cost you a ton of prospects.
0: Today's Locked On Nationals podcast is brought to you by Built Bar. Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar ever made. The new and improved Built Bar is more deliciouser than ever. It's got six new flavors, caramel brownie, cookies and cream, cherry bar chia, lemon, almond, cheesecake, carrot cake, and Apple Almond Crisp. Those go along with the 12 original flavors, Coconut Almond, Raspberry, German Chocolate, Peanut Butter, Banana Bread, Mint Brownie, Salted Caramel, Double Chocolate, Orange, Toffee Almond, Coconut, and Peanut Butter Brownie. They're covered in 100% chocolate. They're soft and easy to chew. And right now, Built Bar has a very good offer for our listeners. You also have a chance to win a free cooler with your purchase if you go to builtbar.com right now. Use a promo code Locked On, you'll get 20% off on your next order. Once again, that's promo code Locked On for 20% off at builtbar.com. So, is the first order of business getting a GM? Is that is that
2: the first thing that's on your mind? It's on the front office's mind. You know, I know it's. I mean, this is happening in the middle of free agency, right? So is that a priority or is a priority right now, let's get a general manager in here?
1: I think it has to be to get a GM. Uh, I Again, I don't know how much Sandy Alderson wants to be GM doing again. everything himself, you know? <laughs> I, I think he wants to get some people in there. And like I said, I wouldn't be surprised if we hear over the weekend uh, three candidates and they get someone hired by next week.
2: Who are you thinking? Who would, who would you like to see as, as the GM, right? There, there's maybe some thought that, Theo might not be long for that Cubs job. Uh, I know I think right now he might be safe, but uh, who knows, right? Who knows? Uh, What do you think? What are the other options that you you would consider?
1: Uh, Well, I love Theo, but I think he's going to stay for at least one more year. Uh, The names we're hearing is uh, Bobby Heck is one from the, from Tampa. Uh, Billy Owens from Oakland. There's another name from Oakland that's escaped me right now. Uh, Mike Chernoff from Cleveland. So the thing about Sandy, he has a ton of relationships in baseball, so you can kind of expect maybe an Oakland hire would make sense because he was just in Oakland, but he knows a lot of people, and I think it's going to be who Sandy wants to work with that's going to come in. I also think John Rico is probably going to get a pretty big role again. He was Sandy's right-hand man for all those years. I don't know what his role has been. He's still been with the Mets, but he hasn't been. He was demoted when Brody came in, so I think Rico will have an expanded role, but I don't think he'll be – the GM.
2: So you know, you're thinking about the GM, and you're, you're kind of laying this out, right? It sounds like the role is going to be kind of a, a balanced one where it's a bit of, you know, Sandy's kind of signing off on stuff. Uh, the GM is, I mean, he's going to be a decision maker. You know, this, this is the one concern I have, right? I, I love the fact that, you know, for, if you're a Mets fan, that Steve Cohen is really enthusiastic, right. About, yeah. about this, this sale. Your next question, though, is, is he one of those enthusiastic owners who comes in and wants to be a part of the decision-making process in terms of players? Or is he, to give you a good example, maybe uh, Steve Ballmer, who did have probably some say, but Steve Ballmer comes in and makes Doc Rivers the GM and the coach and is like, you take it away, Doc. I'm just here to <laughs> get fired up on the side. What do you think that relationship's going to be between Sandy, Steve, and then whoever the eventual GM is?
1: I do think it's interesting you brought Balmer up because I did a whole podcast comparing the Clippers and the Mets situation because they're so similar. Yeah. You have the second franchise in cities, you know, the Clippers and the Mets right. being right. behind the, the Lakers and the Yankees. The the fact that the relative being laughing stocks and it all kind of adds up similarly. And I do think that Balmer and Cohen are also alike, first the, the same first name, but you look <laughs> at them and I can see Cohen right now. He's talked about wanting baseball people to make baseball decisions. I think he is really big on hiring out people. So he's talked at length about analytics. That's how he invests as a hedge fund guy. So he's going to bring a ton of people in and it's going to be very collaborative. I think that Cohen's not going to have that big of an impact on the baseball decisions other than putting the right people in place to make those decisions.
2: And I mean, you know, you'd know better than me, but I feel like there are some scenarios where, you know, when there's great players available, right? It's kind of like, and everybody knows that they're great. It's kind of, that's, that's one of the decisions where that's basically on the owner, right? The owner is the guy who is like, if everybody's all in agreement, right? This player is great. They're going to look at the owner and say, do we have the money? And I feel yeah. like, you know, the a situation where he's like, look, we all agree this guy's great. You guys have my, my, my blessing. Go and offer him whatever the hell he wants, right? And I feel like that's kind of, that might be his role. Right. Like he, he sounds like from everything that we're talking, you know, everybody, the articles that are being written, right. The the talking points is that he plans on making a splash, this free agency. Everybody's talking about dialing back. Like he's going to come in and he's like, I'm a Mets fan. I've bought the team. We should be competing and I'm going to make sure that we, we are.
1: Yeah. I think one of the things is he looks at this very similar to, you know, his career in investing. And this is a buyer's market. If you have the capital to, manipulate the market right now. I mean, you can get some great value. So taking on Francisco Lindor, as an example, the Indians need to get out of his money because they lost all that money due to the pandemic. So they need to get out of his $20 million. He's going to make an arbitration. Here's a chance to make a trade for a guy, maybe give up less prospects. And in turn, you have the money in place to sign them to whatever Mookie bets, like contract, Uh, you know, 300, 400 million dollars. So I could see him making a lot of moves like that. I did a whole article where I was talking about how you can absorb contracts and find value. An example, which even I don't necessarily love it, but this is a move that Cohen can make. You can trade for someone like Alex Cobb, who's owed like 15 million and buy like three prospects. You know what I mean? Like there's things like that, that you can do now and that he can do to really, manipulate this market and I think that's something the Mets will do this offseason
2: well that's something that would help the Mets too because I mean it's not it's not a loaded farm system right you know we're not we're not talking about a team that is and and that's the one thing I think you know you hope they do now is build that farm system up because they've been so uh open and this is something the Nationals have done a lot too I mean that's the Nationals and Mets are not uh you know they're they're alike in this situation They have been willing to trade those prospects. And I think now too, like you talked about great, you know, if you have the capital, right? You're willing to you accept a contract like that in order to build to yeah, like you said, to build a farm system, to to accept those prospects. To you know, that happens to the NBA all the time, right? You get picked when you when you take on a big contract. So I hadn't thought about that. That's 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 one positive way um, you know, they could affect it. I want let's talk about the immediate really fast. What you know, I saw them, I saw articles saying they're going to be in on Springer, and they're going to trade for Lindor. I mean, do you see them making that many big spl- – You know, and also people think they're in on Real Muto as well. Do you see them making that many big splashes? I mean, what's the, you know, that's the first question. Question number two is, what do you want uh, off the bat? What, what, what kind of player are you looking for?
1: I think there's going to be one really big name, whether that's Real Muto, Lindor, Springer. I think there's going to be one really big name. And then I really see Stroman coming back. I'm not too. sure. I don't know if he's going to accept the qualifying offer. If he doesn't though, I think he's going to be out in the market and be surprised that he's not going to get the Zach Wheeler contract from last year. So I can see them signing him to some type of a team friendly contract with an opt out after the first year. And that'll bring him back. And then as far as catcher, they could go all in on real Muto, but I see James McCann as being the more likely option. So I I think they're gonna make they're gonna get one huge player. I don't know if it's Springer, I don't know if it is Real Boots, I don't know if it's Lindor. And then I think they're gonna have to address a lot of needs. So they might not be shopping at the top of the market everywhere else.
2: It's funny you mentioned James McCann. I just got done recording a podcast with uh, Max Raymond, who's the district on deck, the fan sided Nets um, writer. And he also he he's I asked him, he said, give me one signing, your are mo- hottest on. He said, James McCann. I think, yeah. I think the market for James McCann is going to be good because I think he's being helped by Real Muto. Yeah. Almost, it's, almost, it's, 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 it's very weird, right? People are looking at Real Muto and they're saying, oh my God, everybody else below him is not Real Muto. So his number is about to get way up. But there's also a bunch of teams who are like, we need a catcher. Who is the next best thing? And everybody has arrived at James McCann. So I think yeah. there's going to be a very hot market for him. I think the National League East and catchers are going to be uh, a, definitely a storyline to watch this offseason because Nats need one, Phillies need one, and then you know the Mets need one. I mean, maybe even maybe even two. I guess they have still have Tomas Nito, right? And they have Ali yeah. Sanchez, but they're not really confident in his hitting ability yet. So the Mets might need two.
1: Yeah, I definitely think that's going to be really interesting. And you're right with Real Muto. First of all, he's not going back to Philly. Their owner pretty much made that clear talking about how unless I get fans, sorry, no Real Muto. So I I don't know where – the thing with Real Muto that's so interesting is he has been the top guy for a while now. You look at every metric you want. He's the best catcher in baseball. Right. Suddenly everyone's pointing to injuries. They're talking about a hip and a knee. Personally, I'd still sign up for Real Muto. The guy's awesome. But it is interesting that when – He's tied to where he wants record money. People start to poke some holes in the potential of signing him.
2: I think he's suffering. What he's suffering from is the fact that the last really great hitting catcher was Buster Posey, right? And we saw the, or at least, I mean, unless you can think of somebody else that was like on that level. Mauer? Yeah, but you know, yeah, exactly. Yeah, Maurer's would be, and Maurer was a bit. I guess Maurer, his he got paid a bit before Buster, right? And then Buster,
1: yeah, yeah, they he, both around the same time. Big,
2: little, little. I think, I think, I think Maurer has
1: the most money ever to a catcher, and I think Buster had the highest AAV.
2: Now, Buster, what he had, and I'm not sure Real Muto has, and and Ryan, I think you're gonna end up being right on this, but I can't. There's still a part of me that's worried about the injuries. Buster moved to first, and yeah. I'm not sure people are sold on Real Muto moving to first in the event of an injury because he's healthy. He's fine right now. But like we saw, like that position, man, you can, you do take a beating and you are one injury away from, you know, not being able to take that beating sustained and perform at the plate because it's, you know, once again, these guys who do it both ways are just so rare at that position. That's the concern I have. And especially with no guarantee. I mean, we think we're going to have a DH in 2021. It's kind of where I think things are trending but there's no guarantee of that. And also too, if you sign to that contract and there's an injury and he's got to play catcher, like you're stuck with a guy who's, you know, a D he's just basically stuck with a DH in that contract. And there's no guarantee that he hits that well. That being said, everything, everything leading up to now has been awesome. Like he is amazing. He is amazing. There's very few catchers. who can, it's weird. There's very few people at that position you can hit and play defense very well. He is the best. He's the best I've seen in a while. I don't know how the Phillies can't re-sign him. Like I know I know yeah. the ownership side something but how can you do that? Especially if he's if he's going to go to a team in your division? How do you let Sixto Sanchez be, you know, you can't watch him become a star and then watch JT play somewhere else. Like that's,
1: that's
2: a point. I, if you're a fan that's just unacceptable. But, and and if I'm a fan I'm saying it's my belief that if you own a team and I know this is not how reality works, but you should own a team, to, you know, cuz you're a fan of a team, right? Like you like ownership should not be a means to a, a making money. Right. These, these teams are bought and sold for so much money that like it, you know, it's, it, it should be about the team itself. I understand the financial constraints the Phillies have, but that you, you put yourself in a place where you signed up for this dude, you yeah. traded for him. Do you cannot let him walk to a team in your division who is like, we'll fork over the cash. Cause you look like a bunch of assholes. I mean, you really do. And like, I never feel bad for Phillies fans. I never really do. But here for once, I might give them a little bit of a, uh, you know, and, and I, you know, I, I mean, Zach Wheeler was good. You mentioned that contract too, but they're, they're sitting there like, we just paid Zach Wheeler a hundred million dollars. What do you mean? We can't go get real Muto. Right. You know, what, what What do you mean? We can't grab him? I, if I'm a Phillies fan, I'm, I'm frustrated. If I'm a Mets fan, I'm like, yeah, let's go, let's go get him. Let's while, while the iron is hot. Now, did he say something about not wanting to go to New York? I think he did. I think he did. And he, he's he's big friends with uh, with Bryce Harper, Bryce. and I think he's
1: he's been speaking all about staying in Philly. Really, just to, when you talk about it, they're taking what Didi's money's off the books, right? I think Arietta's off the books. Mm-hmm. So you'd think, I mean, under normal circumstances, they really are only paying Harper and Wheeler. I don't know. I guess Nola's coming up soon, but it is crazy that they aren't gonna. Just re-sign him. He's so important to them. What I'm actually interested about Real Muto is can you structure a contract where you're not on the hook for five or six years because the market might not be as great this season? So can you front load like a a deal with an opt-out after two or three years and then maybe get out of that deal in the future? That's something that I'd be interested in for the Mets or for any team really to not be tied to that much risk.
2: Yeah, it's interesting. That it is interesting, you know, how you structure those things. I mean, because you know the Nationals are always the big fans of deferred money. That's their, oh, that yeah. is their, their secret weapon, right? It's a lot of teams do that as well, too. Um, the, the Lindor thing is one, one thing I want to go back to before we kind of wrap up here. Is Lindor bringing in, right, they've got Jimenez, who I think is going to be a stud, who was amazing this year. Are, is that me, kind of mean you're going to give up a little bit on, uh, on Ahmed Rosario? Because I don't, I don't know if they should yet.
1: It's interesting. I feel like Jimenez is the guy that will ultimately go in that trade, which here's the th- deal with that. You'd be lucky if Jimenez turns into Lindor, right? So that's why you make yes, the trade. that's
2: very fair, yeah.
1: Defensively, I think they're probably already on an equal level, but, I mean, he's not Lindor offensively, so you'd make that trade. The reason why I think it's Jimenez is because they're crying so poor right now in Cleveland that they're going to want the extra two or three years of control. Right. So I could see that. I mean, I think last offseason, these two teams were talking and it was going to be a Rosario Flindor swap with prospects going back to Cleveland. So I guess it's still on the table. But ultimately, I could see a trade where it's like Brandon Nimmo and Jimenez going to Cleveland. If I read something that said
2: Pete Alonzo, and I was like, "Get the hell out of here!" There's Pete Alonso is not going anywhere. I mean, you'd have to offer Garrett Cole for Pete Alonso. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I actually, I actually did that as like a test case. I, I threw out a survey on Twitter, uh, which blew up. I, I said, uh, "If someone, if they offer you Lindor for Alonso straight up, do you do it?" Just to see Mets fans go nuts over it, and yeah, it was like fifty fifty. So uh,
2: the re, well, I think the reason why it's a no for me is that. A, you don't have to, like, there's like, yeah. you, you can make that happen without, you can make it happen without actually doing that, right? Like you don't need yeah. to, it's not like, well, it's, it's either Pete or we don't do it. So that's, that's the first factor. And two is like Pete Alonso. when you watch a player fit in like that, it's like watching Juan Soto in DC. It's like, it's just a natural fit and yeah. everybody loves him. And, and he had a bad year. And, and I think, you know, for the Mets fans, I know they all came to his defense and said, look, the rookie season he had, Unbelievable, yeah. There's obviously problems with his swing and the way he sees the ball, right? I mean, he's got to get better with seeing pitches and and you know letting stuff get to his wheelhouse. But that's that building block of you know of of that rookie season is a great plat. You know, it's a great place to build from. How many guys give you that kind of performance? And the you know the sky is a limit, right? We know he is capable of that. And if and also too, this is something I'm very partial to. I'm always partial to SEC players. Because uh, yeah. I think that from a very young age, you know, from that age, they're they're tested, right? I mean, there's no weekends off in the SEC. When you're playing South Carolina and Vanderbilt and Tennessee, you know, and we're seeing all of those guys. Garrett Crochet from Tennessee is, you know, is starting, uh, you know, pitching the playoffs this year, right? Those guys are just bred differently. And like, they are, it's so competitive there. And there's always somebody, you know, ready to take your spot that those guys are used to having to elevate their games, right? They're used to having to, take that next step. I love, I that's why I'm, I'm on Pete Alonso. I'm like, give him some time, man. There's no need to, to fret yeah. or worry. Yeah. It didn't happen for you in year two, but get, I mean, I would not give away a player like that.
1: I actually kind of would, but the only reason why okay. I would trade, the reason why I would trade, first of all, I don't think the Indians would do it because hmm. I think the Indians are going to look for a little bit more. They, they want some more. They, they probably want to plug three holes if they could, by trading Lindor because they're still going to try to win this right. year. But the reason why I would, because you have Dom and I, and I honestly think that that is I true. Think, I think Pete has a higher ceiling than Dom, but I think Dom has a much higher floor. Right, He's, he's a better defensive first baseman. I mean, he's been hitting like he had sleep apnea uh, prior to, or I guess he probably still has it, but he got the machine and everything after 2018 and ever since he figured out how to sleep, oh my god, he's raked. I mean, he's probably hitting like three. I did not
2: know that about him. That's that's yes. fascinating.
1: Yes. So the first half of nineteen, he was awesome. This year, he was. Was he a finalist for a Silver Slugger? Or the, uh, Hank, uh, the Hank Aaron. That's what Dom it was. was
2: great this year. Dom was uh, he was unbelievable this year.
1: Yeah. So he was a finalist for the Hank Aaron Award this year. I would bet on on Dom's future more than Pete's, but with the DH eventually coming, you can keep right. both.
2: So that's, I, that's the one big thing for them is having those two yeah. guys, you know, it's, I mean, it's a great, it's a great situation to have both those guys there. And I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be quick to give up either of them. Right. And that's the one thing about baseball I feel like we always see is that like teams, we,